You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, we're ready to stop. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Is this level of volume okay for everybody? Okay. Okay, perfect. So thank you, everybody, for coming out on a Sunday morning. And first off, if I know anything about Baruch, it's that he wouldn't want me speaking too much about him. But I think that when Chazal tell us that what they're teaching us is also how to engage in Mida Keneged Mida. Just like a host opens up their home, so too the speaker in the home has to open themselves up, first and foremost for the person who has opened their home to us. So with that said, thank you to Rav Baruch and his Rebetzin for creating a space. Rav Baruch was... Meeting Rav Baruch is, is, uh, is an Amuna building experience. To know, that, to know that such people exist and to know that such a space exists is a, is a very powerful thing. So thank you for your friendship and Be'ezrus Hashem will only continue. It's hard to speak to a chavra that you've never gotten to speak to before and, and choose exactly what to speak about because you want to be able to try and give over an etzem, a chilek of etzem of what you're trying to say while stuck in the world of talking about giluyim, the giluyim of different divrei Torah, different tzaddikim. So to try and make a shiluv of sharing giluyim, sharing different ideas that will hopefully carry within them the etzem of what I'm trying to convey is what I'm going to try and do today. So I apologize in advance for the fact that we'll meander and we'll travel between different worlds, different batei medrashim, without going too deeply into any particular individual or a tzaddik or a teacher. But hopefully the different pratim will build a, a klal or a partsuf that is greater than the sum total of its parts, which is ultimately what I'm going to try and share. When a Kaddish Baruch Hu tells us about the creation of human beings, Vayitzer Adam, the Torah tells us that the human being is formed, the human being is created. And already on the Pasuk of Vayitzer, which has two Yuds, Chazal and Rashi bring down a very simple question. Why is it that when describing the creation of the human being, is there a doubled Yud? Why not just use a singular Yud? And the reason for that, according to Rashi, based on the words of Chazal, is that there are shnei there are two creations that take place within each and every individual. What the Zohar would refer to as a Yitzira Latav and a Yitzira Labish. Being created for good and being created for the opposite of good. Or being created with the Yitzir Hatov and being created with the Yitzir Hara. The proclivity towards positive action the natural tendency that we have as human beings with neshamos to do good and bring more light into the world, as well as the Yitzira Lara, as the Yitzir Hara, a proclivity or a tendency towards negativity, towards those things which are the opposite of good. When a person really looks at what the Torah is trying to tell us, at least according to my own humble understanding, it's a profound teaching with regards to what it means to be a human being. The assumption that we have very often, now whether it's Girsa Diankasa or being brought up in a Western world of psychological wellness, the typical understanding of what it means to be a functioning individual is to be an integrated individual, to have a seamless personality where all things are unified with one particular direction, where my nefesh, my natural tendencies as a human being, my emotional tendencies, my spiritual tendencies, all are directed to one particular space where everything that I do is singular and unified. And that anybody who deviates, anybody who falls away from that unity, anybody who falls away from that seamless functioning or that ability to have achdus in every aspect of their lives is going to be someone who's considered unhealthy or not normal 
or operating beneath the line of normalcy. And what we do typically from this perspective is that anybody who's not functioning according to the line of normalcy, of achdus, of unity within themselves, is forced to undergo change trying to work on themselves, whether it's through the perspective of Musr, or whether it's through the perspective of Tikkun Hamidos, or Sigufim, or Tanios, whatever those mean for us in this particular moment in time, the goal for many people is to try and return back to that unity of the self, to that achdus ha'atzmi, what Rav Yerucham of Mir would describe as the sod ha'etzem. Rav Yerucham, more than any other tzaddikim or mashpiim, speaks so often about sod ha'atzmi, the secret of the self, to the point that for Rav Yerucham, the secret of being an individual is coming in contact with yourself quieting down the voices of the outside, quieting down the world outside, getting to know the person themselves. Ad Kedekach, that Rav Yerucham was able to say, Rav Wolba brings this down in his anonymous commentary on the life of Rav Yerucham, Kuntras Adam Biakar, where he says that, HaPerish Hachi Tov Torah, the greatest explanation to the Torah, is HaAdam Atzmo, the person themselves. This is what Chazal mean when they say that Avram Avinu learned the Torah, Meshtei Kal Yosav. That it was Avram Avinu who was able to intuit through his natural intuition what the Torah was trying to say. And we're taught that in order to get back to that place of yichud or achdus within the self, that we have to get rid of all the duplicitous nature, all secondariness in our lives, all disturbance, all stricture or any discord within the self. And because of that, because that becomes the ideal for us, Anytime we're not by that idealized state of achdus, we feel that we're broken, we feel that we're still in a space of tohu. But what I want to try and show, very simply, is that the Torah's understanding of what human beings are was never this monolithic, unified whole where everything is echad. The Torah never wanted human beings to engage in a singular quest where everything was unified and everything was light. But rather... The Adam, a human being, according to the Torah and according to Yahadus, is somebody who is able to deal with the contradictions of the self. Somebody who is able to recognize that to be a human being means to be doubled. Being born already means that we have two impulses within us. It's not something that happens because of a mistake. It's not some symptom of a primordial sin but rather it is the constitutive element, meaning to say it is the etzim of the individual that we are already dual within ourselves. We have two parts to us. Like the Pasuk says, Vayitzera Sa'adam, two Yuds, a Yitzera Tov and a Yitzhara. This is already before the Chet. This is still when Adam Arishan and Chav are in Gan Eden. So to claim that it's only a post-effect of the sin, or the chait of Adam Arishon, is to mistake what HaKadosh Baruch Hu was trying to do when he created human beings. Creating human beings was creating this creature, this individual, who experiences a battle within themselves, who experiences the fact that there are always already going to be two or more powers at play within the individual. And as long as we're unwilling to accept that, there's not going to be any shalom benefesh. The nefesh will not be able to rest. If we feel that the goal of being a human being is to reach a place of achdus, is to reach a place where everything is unified, then what we will live with is resentment towards ourselves because we're not good enough, resentment towards HaKadosh Baruch Hu because He created us in this torn way, and resentment towards anybody in our lives who prevents us from reaching that fantasy of achdus. But when we look at what the Torah tells us about what it means to be a human being, the hope is that we can come out with just a little bit more comfort with the tornness of who we are, with the reality that we're karua, that there's a tear within each and every one of us, and there are multiple strengths pushing in different directions. Now, psychologically speaking, when talking about trauma, one of the elements that most theorists of trauma speak about is that a traumatic experience on any level, is a tear within the individual. There's a fissure that appears and it cracks open what used to be whole and it shows that now it's split. Imagine for a second that you're walking on a very clear path where the cement is sturdy and the ground underneath your feet is sturdy and then suddenly you see a crack in the road. That crack in the road which separates what was before and what will come after, that is the definition of trauma. A traumatic episode 
I'm not talking about capital T trauma right now. I'm not talking about individuals who have suffered actual trauma. That's not something that a person gives a sheer about. That's something that a person has to work through in a healthy and functional way. But our psychologists and our psychologists, the Torah itself, recognizes that you want to understand what trauma is. You want to know the minimal amount of trauma. When you want a dollar and you take out 98 cents from your pocket, that's enough of a feeling of yisurin, of trauma, to understand the nature of trauma. Because any time a Jewish individual experiences anything that goes against what they want, should be considered traumatic. Because we believe in HaKadosh Baruch we believe that the world was created for the Jewish people, for the Torah, and there's no reason that the Jew should ever have to suffer anything. Any time we confront the fact that things are not the way they're supposed to be, can be considered as yisurin, can be considered as traumatic. The typical way of understanding trauma is that trauma breaks open something that was originally whole. And then the job is to try and figure out how to sew it all back together in the hopes that we are able to evade or get rid of the problems that might emerge. The Torah's conception of trauma is very different. Trauma takes place already before we're born. Trauma already happened. By the time that we're born, we're already split. There's already a tear within us. When it says, Echad haya Avraham, that Avram was Echad, Avram was one, the Mephorshim don't see that as being singular or unified, but that Avram's avoida was to be ma'achet hafachim. That Avram Avinu saw the world already as a split place, already as a place on fire. That bira dolekes that Avram Avinu saw, right? the way we're taught that medrash, or at least the way I'm taught that medrash, is that Avram Avinu was walking around in, in Iraq or in Mesopotamia, and he sees this beautiful palace, this bira dolekes, and he says, wow, it's gorgeous. There must be an architect here. Imagine, if you will, the, the most beautiful display of a Pesach program imaginable. And you see, this has to be, you know, there has to be a creator here. Rav Yehuda Michal Tukachinsky, the Gesher HaChayim, the Talmud Chavar of Rav Kuk, in his third section in Gesher HaChayim, where he begins to talk about the philosophy of death, what it means to live in a world that is cut through with the reality that human beings will pass away, what it means to live with the death awareness that is unique to individuals, he has a different taich on this medrash. Avram Avinu saw Bira Dolekas. Bira Dolekas doesn't mean a lit up palace, it means a palace on fire. It means a world in flames. When Avram Avinu walked around, he said, there is so much broken here. There is so much on fire here. It must be that there's a way to connect it all. It must be that there's a way to fix these broken parts. And so the Jewish conception of trauma is not that trauma is something that has happened to disrupt unity, but trauma is the space that we're born into. When you look at the question of tzimtzum, that original contraction that HaKadosh Baruch Hu engaged in in order to create the world. So when you read the words of the Arizal or the Vilnagon or the Balatanya, so tzimtzum as a concept is already a question of revealing or concealing, removing or making present, not to get into that discussion, but there's a world of the Kabbalah of the Ariza, and the Lashem Shabbat of Shlomo Yashiv, who's someone who's very close to my heart, speaks about a different kind of tzimtzum. A tzimtzum that took place even higher than the tzimtzum that the Ariza speaks about in the beginning of Eitz Chaim. This tzimtzum is referred to as a tzedek, samech dalad kuf, a split. That prior to any removal of light, there was a primordial split in the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu reveals himself in the world that what was originally unified is now going to be revealed in two ways. That original tzimtzum, that split, is what creates that split within the soul. That yetzer atov and the yetzer the small and the yamin, the behema and the adam. And no matter where you look at it, you can look at any tzaddik, any machaber, and you see that this is axiomatic, this is aleph base for what it means to be a Jew. When a person looks at the Sefer of Tanya, before getting into the delicate nature of what the Balatanya is trying to say, what a person is first confronted with is the fact that we have two neshamos. We have an echelik Eloi Kamimal and an Efesha Bahamas. Now that's something we all take for granted, but what the Balatanya is telling us is that if you want to know what it means to be a mensch in this world, you have to first accept the very basic fact that there are two parts to you. That there's going to be a battle within you. Rav Soloveitchik also said this Beferush in Lonely Man of Faith, the two accounts of Adam Arishon's creation is Adam 1 and Adam 2. Man-natura versus man-persona. 
the individual who wants to cleave to heaven, wants to cleave to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the individual who feels drawn down to the earth. Now, Lonely Man of Faith is not such a raya because it's probably based on Tanya itself. But what both of these tzaddikim are saying is one, is that we're split. There's a battle in us. We're not unified. There's a tremendous therapist who was not Jewish, but he had a healthy relationship with Jews, which I think is enough to say that he deserves to be quoted. His name was Donald Winnicott. Donald Winnicott was a child therapist, but he was also a profound commentator on what it means to be a human being. Aviva Gottlieb Zornberg uses a lot from Donald Winnicott. Donald Winnicott has a famous essay called Fear of Breakdown. To me, this is one of the most important teachings that I've ever encountered. He says that when the client or the analysis comes into therapy, ready to be fixed, ready to be given the trufa, given the help that they need, he says everybody comes in with the fear of breakdown. Everybody is terrified that the trauma is going to happen, that something is going to happen and something is going to split me apart and break me open. And Donald Winnicott says that sometimes the greatest thing that you can do for the individual, sometimes the greatest thing that you can do for yourself is to realize that the trauma has already happened. You're already split. You've been split since you've been born. Stop worrying so much about losing your unity of self because it never was there. You're born broken into this world and that's specifically the way that we're meant to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The Eitzar HaTov and the Eitzahara in battle together are not meant to be unified together. They're meant to dance together. A dance means that both uphold the other in opposition. One of Rav Soloveitchik's biggest critiques of what he referred to as mysticism was that it seeks to elevate the person out of this world. It seeks to take this world that is broken and torn apart, the person who feels torn within themselves, and to elevate them to a plane of makif, of a plane of transcendence where everything is unified. And Rav Soloveitchik would say, and I think this is very clear out of the writings of the Balatanya certainly, but Avada, the Balatanya son, the Mitla Rebbe. Anybody who learns the Torahs of the Mitla Rebbe understands that the Mitla Rebbe, more than anybody, more than any other tzaddik, especially in Chabad, the Rebbe Rashab also understood this very deeply, which is why the Rebbe Rashab of all of the tzaddikim had an interesting relationship with the question of psychoanalysis or the question of what Freud was trying to teach us. But the Mitla Rebbe, when a person learns the Torah of the Mitla Rebbe, especially the Hakdamos, he is so aware of the, that schism between the individual, the realization that nobody is whole, and that at best what we can try and do is bring comfort to that brokenness. The avoida, the, the attempt to make a person whole again, is the wrong mahalach. It's not in the writings, this is not my own teaching, the writings, nobody says, no tzaddik will say, that the job is to become unified and whole so that you're one with a Baruch Hu. That's an impossibility. What we're meant to do is work with the broken parts that we have, work with that tear that we have in our neshamos, and always work day in and day out to be miyachedet. When the Arizal talks about Yehudim, and the Arizal wasn't the first person to talk about Yehudim, one of the problems, and it's my problem, it's not a tzaddik's problem, one of the problems that I had with the teachings of Rav Avram Abu Lafia, Rav Avram Abu Lafia as a makubal, as a prototype of what the Arizal was trying to say, is that to speak about Yehudim, to speak about a world where the entire job is to see unity in the world, is to give up on all of this brokenness, is to ignore the fact that the world was created through tzimtzum, through a split, and then there was a trauma, which was Shvira Sakhalim. So what happens to all the brokenness? And then I had a teacher who pointed out to me once that Rav Avram Abu Lafia points out that every Yehud is born out of Pirud and leads to another level of Pirud. That the avoida of Yehudim, the avoida of making unifications, is to take two things that are separate, to try and connect them, and then to realize at the next moment that things are still separate and to try and connect them again. Yehudim doesn't mean to live in a space of unity. It means to live with the recognition that all that we can do is try and unify that which is broken. So, when a person looks at the teachings of Rav Kook, this becomes very apparent. Rav Kook was a tzaddik. Rav Kook was an individual who saw the world as achdus. He saw the world as unified. He saw the world on its ideal level. He saw the world from the perspective of the Chaya and the Yechida, from those Makifim, which are above and beyond the brokenness of the Pnimium, of the Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama. But at the same moment, when a person looks at the writings of Rav Kook, there's also an inner tension. 
one gets the sense that Rav Kook spoke so feverishly, and I use that word very delicately, feverishly in the sense that it was all he could do. Rav Kook didn't choose to write, Rav Kook needed to write, because otherwise he would have spontaneously combusted. <laughs> that Rav Kook is so stark and so strong about Yichud, because he's so aware that any moment that you let go of the Avoida of Yichudim, that that chasm, that that breakage within us becomes apparent again. And so anytime you let go of the Avoida of Yehudim, you're opening yourself up back up to the reality of Pirud. So a person has to scream and shout all day, every day about Yehudim, Yehudim, Yehudim. Chazal tell us that Chanuch tofer na'alayim haya. Bechol tefira v'tefira haya miyached Yehudim. Rav Yisrael Salanter has an incredible parish on this. It doesn't mean that when Chanuch was sitting in his cobbler shop, fixing shoes, that he was really having kavanos and the shemos of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It means that every time Chanuch came in contact with the fact that a shoe was torn, he realized that it's my job to connect broken things. That's how Rav Dessler teaches it. Chanuch's Yehudim were the realization that this world is broken. Shoes get torn very often. Shoes need to be fixed. And my job is to sew things back together. Echad haya Avraham. Avram's avoida was to be ma'achid the elyonim and the tachtonim. Not to show that they're one and the same, but to show that it's our job to connect these things that are broken. And when we recognize this, when we accept this, when we give up or we mayayish on that fantasy of achtus, that fantasy of being a seamless, integrated individual, that's when we allow ourselves to open up to the possibility that as the Jewish people, we're more than echad. We're an achdus that comes out, dafka and daika, out of pirud. It's one thing for the world to be echad. That would have been easy for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Hashem wouldn't have had to create the world. This is what Rav Shemaya Morgenstern's Torah is all about, Lefianias Daiti. It would have been easy for Hashem to remain ein sof. The chiddush is for there to be pirud. The chiddush is to live in a space of duality and duplicity and brokenness and shverkeit and lev yodeh maras nafsho. Shverkeit in each and every personal prat, what the Leshem would refer to as prat hayoter acharon sheyachol leparet, the lowest possible common denominator where the light of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is still present, add to the klalei klalim, to the highest level of spirituality. It's all broken from the top down. And that's the purpose that HaKadosh Baruch Hu wanted us to come down here for. To show that it's specifically within the period that we can draw in achdus. Rav Kook, when he was a young Rav in Yafo, would write in his early writings about the secularists, about the poets of the time, about Brenner, about Azar, about the different poetic expressions of the Jewish neshama. Because Rav Kook saw everything as achdus. Again, he saw it was his job to take that which is outside the realm of Kedusha, or what he saw as being outside of the realm of Kedusha, and to unify it. So Rav Kook would write beautiful ma'amarim. He wrote something called neshama shal oilam atohu a profound meditation on the fact that there are certain neshamos in this world who have tasted a light so sublime that when they come down into this world, nothing will satisfy them, even Torah mitzvos. They come from a place of tohu ha'elyon, what the Mitla Rebbe talks about in Parshas Vayishlach as the lights of Esav that are higher than the lights of Yaakov. What Chabad, their Lashonos from Machadesh, this notion of oiris de tohu bekelim de tikkun. It's not found in the Arizal. The ideas are avada found in the Arizal, but that Lashon of, of lights of chaos and vessels of rectification, Rav Kook saw that in the secularists. Rav Kook saw that in that world where people were not ready to connect to Kedusha yet. And after writing this, Brenner responded. Brenner loved Rav Kook, and I'm going to read from a wonderful book. This is Mirsky's book on Rav Kook, which was published by the Yale series of Jewish Lives, and it's called uh, A Mystic in the Time of Revolution. He writes as follows. Brenner writes in response to these ma'amarim that Rav Kook was writing, describing how everybody is really trying to find Kedusha, and all of their secular attempts to find poetic expression to the Neshama are really rooted in Kedusha. Brenner says as follows. The exalted, and I I stress this word with all responsibility, worldview expressed in the seedlings in Zaronim, the original writings of Rav Kook, of our master of Avram Yitzchak Akhoin Kook, for those of us who stop to look, are nonsense. Our resting place, says Brenner, is not only in God. And what more, we don't know a resting place, and we don't even think we're looking for one anymore. And what is more, we don't believe his professed tranquility. 
We don't trust this tzaddik. Rav Kook is telling us that there's a world of tranquility. We don't believe him. We see tornness everywhere. And we respect his efforts to tell us where those impulses are coming from. But we don't believe that he doesn't suffer from that same pain. This person who professes to be a tzaddik, he claims to live in a world of achdus and that we're stuck in period. We don't believe him. The one who wrote the worlds of the souls of the worlds of chaos or that suffering cleanses, two other essays of Rav Kook, provides evidence that the soul contortions of the heretics and the destroyers are not foreign to him at all. That's what Brenner wrote to Rav Kook. In Chadarov, a wonderful compilation of very personal writings of Rav Kook, he responds to this. And what's best is that he responds, but it's not in full. And Mursky brings down the full writings, and, and it's the most important part of it, which I'll add afterwards. Rav Kook writes as follows. Misha Amar Alaiki Nishmasi Karua, he who said upon me that my soul is torn, that my soul is there's a schism in it, Yafa Amar. He spoke very well. Bevadaihu Karua. Certainly it's torn. It's impossible for us to fathom what it would mean for a person to not have a torn soul. Rak Hadomeim Only inanimate matter is whole. The individual is a creature of dispersion, of oppositions, of different desires, of the Yetzir HaTov and the Yetzir HaRa, the death drive and the drive towards life that Freud would speak about. And there is an inner war operating within the individual at every moment. And the entire job of the individual is to unify the cracks and the schisms within their neshama. Through that collective thought, and we'll get to what that means. That in that ra'ayon haklali, everything gives birth to a deeper harmony. Now, after reading this beautiful line, this beautiful keta, a person can lose hope almost, because at the end, Rav Kook seems to be reverting exactly back to what the Mekubalim, what we thought they were saying all along. That there's hefech, there's distortion, but there's a ra'ayon haklali that can unify everything. Which leaves us back at the beginning, which is that we're still meant to strive for perfection. But what Mursky brings down is that Rav Kook adds an extra line here. Rav Kook says as follows, The job of the individual is the effort to unify the antinomies in the soul through the encompassing idea of whose greatness and sublimity everything is gathered together in harmony. And then Rav Kook adds as follows. Of course this is just an ideal towards which we yearn. No mortal can reach it. But by our efforts we can draw closer and closer to it. And this is what the Kabbalists referred to as Yehudim. That with that additional line what Rav Kook is saying is that don't mistake what I'm trying to say, that you can reach a place in this life where everything is unified. Because the only time that happens is by that chazon hamavas, by that moment when the individual stops breathing. Until then, it's always going to be an inner battle. Yes, the battle goes from shlav to shlav. My keser, the apex of my spiritual experience on this level, opens me up to the malchus of a higher level, ad ein sof. But never think that there's going to be a full swoop of unity because that's not what we're here for. The job is to be miached yichudim. The job is to always grab hold of the two sides of ourselves and try and hold them together with the awareness that they might split apart and melt again. And our job is to tie them and sew them back up and to let them fall apart again. That behold tefira v'tefira haya miached yichudim. Every tefira, every stitch was an attempt to be miached yichudim. And something happens when we allow ourselves to live in this space. That instead of desiring a monolithic unity which is belitinua, without movement and without chidush, what we allow ourselves to do is give birth to the dance within the self. What Whitman would say is that we contain multitudes. That there are multitudes within us that dance together, not to reveal a unity, but to reveal a period that is higher than unity. What Rabbi Nachman would refer to as the Heichal Hagvanim Hamishtanim, the chamber of changing colors, where at every single moment I apply myself to the world in a different image. I was speaking to Rabbi Yoshua Hartman once, 
the Baal HaMaharal. And he told me a Misa about his Rebbe Rav Hutner. He brought a friend of his to meet Rav Hutner. And this friend who was a secular Jew wanted very badly to meet this tzaddik. And Rav Hartman goes into Rav Hutner's Cheder Penima and he's standing there with him and Rav Hutner is silent. Rav Hutner doesn't say a word. And Rav Hartman's embarrassed. Rav Hartman is babusha because he brought his friend to meet this tzaddik. And afterwards, after about five or six minutes of awkward silence where Rav Hutner just basically said shalom, they leave. And Rav Hartman, who was a Ben Bayas at that time, by Rav Hutner, says to him afterwards, Rebbe, what was that? You embarrassed me. And Rav Hutner said to him, he says, Yoshua, if you think for a second that I'm going to be the same in front of you as I am in front of this person, you haven't even begun to understand who I am. That Rav Hutner was able to understand that to be a tzaddik, to be an individual, to be a Jew in the world, doesn't mean that it's all one singular motion. It means that we have to apply ourselves in different directions sometimes. There are times where we have to be male gvura and there are times where we have to be male chasad. There are times where we have to be male rachamim and there are times where we have to be minatseach. And those givanim hamishtanim, those changing colors, are what give birth to an achdus that contains period within it. So that the avoida is not to get rid of the Sahara. The avoida is to harness the Sahara to allow us to become more than we actually are. As Rav Moshe Shapiro says, Rav Moshe Shapiro Aleinu, that any time the word ma'od is used, it means that we're trying to add more to what is present. Impossibly more to what is present. There's no more material here, but somehow, some way, even more is going to come out. Mineu bey, that secret yichud of within itself. Hine tov ma'od. It was very good. Ze yetzerhara. The reality of duality within ourselves is what gives birth to our ability to be even bigger than yichud to be able to be mit'achid with the fact that there is period in our lives. And it's apparent in the Torah of the Balatanya, it's apparent in the Torah of Rabbi Nachman, it's clear and apparent in the Torah of the Vilnagon and his students, it's a vada clear, there's more than two kolchos for the Vilnagon, there's 70 kolchos. There's different voices within the self, there's Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David, there's the Yosef paradigm and there's the Yehuda paradigm. Any tzaddik that you look at, when you look at the teachings through this lens, you begin to realize how relevant their message is. Instead of proclaiming a unity that we're so far from, they give us the kalim to live in the duality and the dispersion that we find ourselves in. And it's daika, specifically in that place of duality, that we come to find the power of HaKadosh Baruch Hu that can be found in darkness as well as light. To end with a Misa, and I don't, know, I don't know how much time I have left or if I should... We're good? Okay. Somebody once came to the Rebbe of Baruch. The Rebbe of Baruch of Mezhebush, grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. Grandson of the Baal Shem Tov? Yeah. Grandson of the Baal Shem Tov. The Rebbe of Baruch was a, a profoundly frightening tzaddik. The Rebbe of Baruch was famous for his anger. Women used to come to him for brachos and he would scream them out of the office. The Rebbe of Baruch was mole rogas. At the end of his life, the Rebbe of Baruch, when he died, he had his Zohar HaKadosh open with his finger pointing to the line in the Zohar that says, Is rogas de ikra Baruch. There is an anger that is referred to as blessing. Because the Avoid of Rabbi Rav Baruch, which was very Mukusha to the Avoid of Rabbi Nachman, was to bring light specifically out of that Kayach of Darkness. But there's a Misa that's told over in different ways by the Rebbe Rav Baruch. That a student came to him knocking late at night one night, overwhelmed by the Sveikos and Amuna that he had. Overwhelmed. Not because he was Mesupak, but because he had reached what the Svarim say is the Shar Nun. He had reached the apex, he had come to the limit. There was no more room for him to grow in his thoughts and he didn't know where to go next. And the Rebbe of Baruch, what you would imagine a spiritual teacher would do nowadays, is just give an answer. Say, don't worry, you'll learn. You'll come to recognize that there's an answer to all of this. The Rebbe of Baruch held his hand, and he said, here we stand in front of the abyss. Here we stand in front of the halal. I can't tell you how to get through the halal, but I can tell you that we'll go through it together. What the Rebbe of Baruch was saying is that to be a Yid, to be someone who's in Avoidah, is not to reach a place of achdus, it's to reach a place where we're okay with the pirud. Where the pirud is not mafria to the person. The Magad of Mezrich writes about his Rebbe, the Baal Shem Tov, that it's specifically by Mincha and the Erev Shabbos, when the Hasidim would come to him. Specifically when the Baal Shem Tov had the Yehudim. The Yehudim Kamoischa. Because what the Baal Shem Tov came to do was he came to teach us how to be miyached. 
The Arizal Yehudim was showing how everything maybe was unified. The Balshemtov's Yehudim is showing how we could live in a world of Pirud and hold it together. Rav Shlomo Torsky from Denver, who has a deep family connection, I had the source of meeting the, the person who put out his writings, his grandson I met in, in Woodmere two weeks ago, which was very special for me. But he writes, my Saba, my, my, my cousins are here, my Saba was very close with this tzaddik, Rav Shlomo Latorsky, he was my father's tzaddik, and Rav Shlomo was a Bal Yisurin, a Bal Yisurin Mamish, the Hornus Teipler, right? right. And he says that the avoid of the Baal Shem Tov was not to come and teach us that tefillah is the most important thing in the world. The avoid of the Baal Shem Tov was not to come to teach us that Tveikos was the most important thing. The avoid of the Baal Shem Tov was to teach us that each and every generation will have an akuda of Chisaron that they need help with. In the Baal Shem Tov's time, it was Tefillah. In our time, he says, it's the period Bein HaLevavos. It's the period between people, and the avoid of the Baal Shem Tov is to be miyached those people. It's to show how there can be unity, daika, in a place of period. When the Baal Shem Tov would stand ready to daven in Shemona Esrei and Mincha, it was specifically then that he was able to be makabel the tsaros of his chasidim. Because the ikra avoid of the tzaddik, the, the magid would say, is to be above and below at once. It's to be lamala and lamata at once. Not to simply live in the world of the elyonim, not to be stuck in the world of the tachtonim, but to live within both of them together. To live with the recognition that we have duality within us, that we have warring kochos within us, but that's what avoida is, that's what living means, that's what breathing is, in and out. Backwards and forwards, Ratza Veshov Kemare Habezek. It's never meant to be monolithic. It's never meant to be unified. Until a time when unity emerges, Behesach Hadas, but that's beyond what we're able to recognize. Until then, Aravoyde is to be Miachid Hafachim, is to live with contradiction, is to live specifically within the Pirud and to show that that Pirud is Achdus as well with both dancing together. And Be'ezrus Hashem, for myself, through the Torah of the Tzadikim, through the Torah of Rav Kook, through the Torah of the Baal Shem Tov, and through the Torah of the Arizal, we should be zoichet to, to live a little bit easier with the fact that we're torn, with the fact that there's a, a, a kriya within us, that there's a, there's a tear within us. And Bezrus Hashem, we should be zoichet to continue to be miyachid yichudim, even though we know that they'll tear apart again, and to be choyzer v'yachid, to return again and keep trying to sew it all together. Thank you everybody for coming. Sure, sure. How do you apply this in actual real therapy or therapeutic life? In, or so a, a benefit that I've had is that I, my wife is from St. Louis, so I live in St. Louis. So it's a, a shtickle bit of a gullus, but um, it, it's, a, it's a good one. But I, I get to work with non-Jews completely in an addiction center. And, and what has really made me valuable there is that I teach Hasidus. They all know who Rabbi Nachman of Breslov is. They all know who Eliyahu Kramer from Vilna is. They all know Morgenstern's theory of doubts, which is based on Ravichemaya Morgenstern's Torah on the Sveikos of Rachel Loisida. There's no need to say, Rav Kook has a Lashon sometimes where he says, my greatest thoughts are sometimes the greatest kfira. So what I have the ability to do is I don't have to worry so much about making sure everybody leaves there seamless and whole in their Amun and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so I can really say what I want to try and say. <laughs> Things that I have to... Ask you this question when you came to Lincoln Square, and I asked you how you how do you build it when you write session notes? <laughs> CBT, Hasidic behavior. Yeah, <laughs> oh, very good, right, very good. Look, the whole cognitive revolution is is uh, the only difference between the Balshemtov and CBT is that for the Balshemtov, when you change your thought, it actually has a puula in Matthias. It's ontological CBT. It has an effect on the reality of the person. That's not magic, but it has a reality, a change on the person. CBT will help a person live in a dimyon. The Baal Shem Tov says that that dimyon becomes your metzias. That ki'ilu is a real thing. People are, are dying to hear that it's okay to not be okay. People are dying to hear that it's okay to not be okay. Drug addiction on a certain level at its core is the attempt to feel perfect. When a person is high or under the influence of any substance, it doesn't mean drugs, it means any type of behavior, there's no period. There's no substance in the world that provides that beyond drugs or, or these intoxicants in an unhealthy way. And intoxicants can be anything. It could be sugar, it could be shopping, it could be learning, it could be heroin, it could be anything. The avoida of recovery is very often to tell the person that you are okay broken and it's specifically in your brokenness that you will find your ability to be okay. The goal in recovery, according to the 12-step program, the, the Yud Beis Madrigos, right? 
It's a Bechin of Malchus. It's the 12 Parim that held up the Beis HaMikdash. There's certainly a, a 13th step, which is Ma'achid everything. But the Avoida is to start off with the realization that you're not whole. You never were whole. You're never going to be whole. And the moment that you're able to accept that is the moment that you're able to be okay with your discomfort and to stop trying to create artificial feelings of wholeness. Obviously, it's not as simple as that because... There's physical anguish. There's physical anguish. I have the source of, I don't see people in active addiction. I work with the people who have already reached the level of wanting to get help, which is rare. We're talking numbers that are horrific. It's different for Jewish people. I believe that after working in this field and with all necessary kind of qualifying statements when I say this, <laughs> the Torah's Chacham, Rav Chaim de la Rosa has a teaching that I live by where he says that if you want to understand B'nai Yisrael, you have to also understand that Alpi the Torah of the Rashash, there's an Erchin of Klai Yisrael. <laughs> that vis-a-vis the Jewish people, everyone else is a non-Jew. But vis-a-vis the non-Jewish nations, they also have an aspect of being a Jew as well. So there's a way to connect to people like this. But the Avoida is to show them that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to live with anxiety. It's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to live with the fact that as a human being, we don't have the answers to everything. To suspend disbelief for a moment and to be okay in the discomfort of the world. That's where a person begins to open themselves up to panemius. Somebody who has never seen a crack in the ground never has to believe that there's anything beneath the ground. Somebody asks me how to teach Hasidus. How do you win the war over the Misnagdim? I was asked this question last night and I'm asked this question by, by Shluchim in St. Louis. Chabad still feels on a certain level that the war is still out there. There's certain Talmidim of the Rebbe who, who never really got the notice that the war is over. The war is over. We won. Hasidim won. It's like, the, it's like the Japanese fighters in World War II who were found four years afterwards still holding their rifles, not willing to let go of it. There's more Gartels in the mirror than there are not. We, we won. If you want to know how to teach Panimia Satora, which includes the Vilna Gon and Rav Yitzhak Isaac Chaver and Rav Menachem and the Mishklav and the Leshem and Rav Yitzhak Kahana and all of the Zramim of Torah, a person has to admit to the fact that they're broken. Without that brokenness, without that awareness that there's a crack in the ground, there's no need for Omek. There's no need for digging the wells like Yitzchak Avinu had to dig. There's no need for laughter. There's no need to find sustenance beyond the surface level. And so when you teach people that that's okay, and you could teach it from any Lashonos, you could teach it from Freud, you could teach it from Albert Ellis, you could teach it from everyone, because kuli amalo pligi, that we're palug, that we're palge gufe, that we're broken. And when a person is able to accept that notion, that's where health begins. So my wife has a trauma therapist wants to hear from you. How do you see the difference of Eden and Goy, if, if you see at all? I, I don't believe you, but I want to hear what I don't. I, I don't see the difference. I, I approach it differently. Can you The Piazetzner is busy, right, the Piazetzner Rebbe speaks about this. It's a bias at the end of the day. It's a human bias that, that I believe that there's a nekuda, there's an irreducible nekuda of emuna that exists within each and every Jewish individual that is irreducible, that cannot be erased. Yeah, and you don't find that in... in, in there's a nekuda of humanity. There's a nekuda of being a mensch. There's a nekuda of being an individual that's equally valuable. It's not chas v'shon to say that it's different, but to speak with the lashonos of emuna, to speak with the lashonos of hope, I find that the Jewish people are always, always ready to find hope, even in their hopelessness. Mm-hmm. More so than non-Jews? I would say. Really? Yeah. I would say. I don't, I don't mean this on a clinical level. It's a, it's a, my gear Sadianka says that it's very difficult for me to say this, but I have to become comfortable saying it. Yes, I think that we have an akuda emuna that makes us different. Different, not better. Rosenzweig, right? However, you want to read the question of Jewish election, whatever you want to you say it to is. See that. I choose to see it. I don't work with Jews so much. I don't work with Jews in addiction. I work with non-Jews, but I know that all they want to know is what my tzitzis are. I had a I had a clinical advisor in the Bronx who, when I started working in the Bronx Correctional Facility, working with hardened clinicals suffering from heroin addiction, where my teachings were not Hasidus. I was giving sheer on Eminem songs. That's what I was doing. That's what I was doing. I don't which is a good thing. Which is a good thing. Anyway, my, my point is... No, my, my, point is, my point is to say that I couldn't use the Lashonos of Yahadus. I couldn't use the Lashonos of Torah. I had to use the Lashonos that was from them and from that space. When I asked my supervisor if I should be there with my tzitzis out and my yarmulke out, what she told me was, and she happened to have been Jewish, she said, when people see your yarmulke and your tzitzis, what they will identify with is emuna. Suffering and survival. 
And that has been true throughout my experience. People are interested in my tzitzis. People want to know what Yara Malka means. People want to know where that survival, even in the pockets of hopelessness, comes from. I made a Chakira last night, when I, and I think this will, define, this will define how I see the difference. Rabbi Nachman says two different things at, at two different times, very often in the same sentence. Rabbi Nachman says, Asur that it's forbidden to give up hope. And he says, Ein shim klau. And he says that there's no such thing as giving up hope. Asur implies that it's prohibited to give up hope, which means that it's a possibility, right? It's an isr like anything else. You can't do it. But in the same breath, Rabbi Nachman will say, Ein shim klau. For the rest of the world, it's asur lehityayish. It's forbidden to lose hope. For the Jewish individual, even when you lose hope, what you come to discover is that there's hope within hopelessness. That a Jewish individual never loses that irreducible trace of emuna that things can become better. Better even in the slightest, slightest shift. And I think that's the difference in the, in the way that I approach it. On a clinical level, nobody would know that this is a difference. That would be, it would be inappropriate of me. But in, in my neshama, what I feel is that, what I feel is that there are people, there are clients that I confront sometimes and I say, wow, this is geferlich. Wow, this is a, a broken zach and I'm not sure if this could be fixed. I don't have that when I meet with Jews. I know that's not a clinical answer so much, but it's, it's more of a clinical posture. Clinically, how do you, because the truth is when people come for, for therapy, they come with the, the, the hope of wholeness. And I, I see a lot of people stay stuck in therapy because they're waiting for that ideal of wholeness and they never actually move on. Mm-hmm. So how do you apply that? How do you talk to people about being okay with their brokenness? There's a wholeness in limitation. The Meshulach says it more than anybody else and Rav Tzadok follows suit. That when a person is makabel chisaron, belave shalem, that's their shlemus. It's a shlemus of chisaron. It's not to say that we can't become perfect, but it's a perfection that needs to acknowledge the fact that we're imperfect. When a person can feel okay being not okay, they begin to find, even when they're not okay, there's a sense of okayness. So instead of aiming for this idealized sense where the real self is apparent and everything is perfect and unified, a person is okay with the fact that there's contradictions within themselves. How do you convince them to accept that concept? They're ready. When people, the more broken a person is, the more ready they are to accept. But what about when the not, not okayness is so far from what he perceives others as normal? He feels he's so not okay relative to other normal people. So I would make a very important distinction here. I mean, Freud would call it a distinction between psychotic disorder and neurotic disorder. I'm not, I'm not going that far. Right. So on the level of neurosis, where there's no kind of like psycho, psychodynamic right. issue that needs immediate attention. It's Echad Hayavram, the teaching of Rabbi Nachman in between the two halakim of Lukut Maran is Echad Hayavram. In order to be a healthy individual, in order to be a functioning individual, a person very often has to close their eyes to the rest of the world. A person has to recognize that my level of normal functioning needs to be vis-a-vis my own particular level. Now, if the answer is I can't break away from what other people think of me, so that's a bigger problem. A person has to learn how to break away because if you live your life in the shadow of what other people are going to think about you, so a person is never going to be satisfied because it's all about Yenim. In AA, they have a Lashon. They say that there's three ways of looking at things and only one matters. A person can look at things based on how they really are in their own minds. A person can look at things from the perspective of other people. Or a person can look at things from the perspective of what they think other people are assuming. The only one that makes any difference to most people is what we assume other people mean. We live with the echoes and the voices of other people in our lives. To take a deep breath, like Rabbi Yisrael Salanter said to his Talmidim, that when they came and said, if only I had the heart of... I forget exactly how it goes. If only I had the heart of Rav Naftali, if only I had the head of Rav Nachum, and if only I had the midos of someone else, I'm forgetting which Talmud, and Rabbi Yisrael Salanter said very calmly, wrong, your head, your midos, your experiences, that's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants from you. Or the famous story of Zusha, right? Hashem is not going to ask, why weren't you more like Yenem? Hashem is going to say, why weren't you more like Zusha? That avoida of being okay, of being beseder with who we are, that's Aleph base. That's Aleph base. Until we quiet out the kol hamona shalromi, those 
random voices that emerge from everywhere else. My mother taught me this very simply as a young kid. My brothers can attest to this. She dressed us ridiculously. We wore cuffed shorts and, and matching vests and high socks and, and hats and different like, but it wasn't a lavush. It was like yellow and gold. And I, I said, mom, I don't want to wear this. I look, I look ridiculous. And she said to me, sweetheart, nobody is looking at you. That was the best answer I ever received. I say that clinically. Yes. Very good, very good. Right, Freud is the one who taught us this. Freud, Freud, a, a Jew taught us this. Right, until Freud, the world was. We assume they refer to Freud as the second Copernican revolution. The Copernican revolution, when the human beings found out that we were not the center of the solar system, that was traumatic. We did not accept Copernicus very nicely. We wanted to kill him. That was really difficult for human beings. Freud came along and said, guess what? Not only are we not the center of the universe, but we're not the center of ourselves either. You think you know everything about yourself? There's an infinite amount more that you don't know about yourself than you do know about yourself. So instead of making Yehudim outside, it's about making Yehudim inside. I think this is what the Baal Shem Tov means. This is Baal Shem Tov, what he hears from Mashiach, in the Heichal of Mashiach, of Ei Masai Ka'asimar. So Mar can mean, you know, when is Mashiach going to come? When is Mr. Mashiach going to come? But Mar is also Marirus. When is the Marirus going to go away? When is that Marus that we live with, that Mara that we live with so often, when is it going to go away? When a person learns to make Yehudim like you, to make Yehudim, to, to sew together the brokenness without feeling that there's no brokenness, acknowledging the brokenness and nevertheless unifying it with the realization that even if it might fall away a moment later, at this moment I was okay, at this moment I can say aha, at this moment I can be present with myself. And that's Nitzchias. Based on the writings of the Rashash and the Arizal, there's nothing more Nitzchi than a, a Nukuda Pratit. The Prat contains the whole within it. To end with, to end with, there's a Maisa that I think, I had the schuss of sharing this Maisa with Chaviva Padaya. Chaviva Padaya wrote a wonderful book about psychoanalysis and Kabbalah. But I shared a teaching with her because her favorite teaching is the fact that, her favorite teaching is the Kamarna Rebbe. How the Kamarna Rebbe, even after all of his Avoida, what? Chaviva Padaya is a great-granddaughter of the Beis Lachim Yehuda. Yehuda. Of Rabbi Yehuda Padaya. So she's, uh, she, she knows. She, she knows what she's talking about. Wonderful writings, wonderful svarim. And the Kamarna Rebbe would worry for most of his life, he would say, even after all of the Dargos he reached, he would say, Ulai, this is all Klipas Naga. Perhaps this is all stuck within the chamber of Dimyon. Perhaps this is all imagination. Perhaps I've done nothing good. And what his uncle, the Zidatever, would say to him is that, that's okay, that's a good sign that you still feel that way. That's a good sign. The Baal Shem Tov Akadosh, and I only saw this in the Baal Shem Tov Al, Al Pirkei Avos, but there's an adenendum to the story from the current Skolia Rebbe. That the Baal Shem Tov was asked the question, Heichan matchilan avoid avoides Hashem. How do we start serving Hashem? Baal Shem Tov paints a picture. It's really based on the Arizal and Shara Kavonos on Nefila Sapayim. The Baal Shem Tov says this, a person has to be madama themselves as if they're standing on the top of a tall mountain with an abyss beneath them that they can't even see the end of it. And when you throw yourself off into that abyss without knowing what's going to happen next and you break up into a million little pieces, that's how you start serving Hashem. The, the adenendum from the Skol Rebbe is that the Shamash who was with the Baal Shem Tov ran down to the bottom of the mountain because his Rebbe just threw himself off a cliff. And what he found when he came down, and this is the secret of it all, what he found was a million pieces of the Baal Shem Tov, but every piece was a Kumashlema of the Baal Shem Tov. All of the different shattered parts of the Baal Shem Tov were an entire Baal Shem Tov. That when you break open and melt, when you shatter apart, you come to find that there's a wholeness within the brokenness. This is also when you look at the Haskama from the Chakal Yitzchak, to the Baal Torah. It's a beautiful haskama. There's tremendous haskamos there. A lot can be learned from those tzaddikim. But he tells Amaisa that, I forget the tzaddik, someone could tell me if I'm historically right or not. I don't think the Noam Elimelech ever got to see the face of the Baal Does that make sense? Yes. So the Noam Elimelech was very broken up over the fact that he never saw the face of the Baal And he davened once that he should see the face of the Baal and the Noam Elimelech says that he looked out and he saw fire on top of a mountain. And every single flame of that fire was a kuma shlema of the Baal Shem Tov. 
that the Torah of the Baal Tov and the Torah of the Rishash and the Torah of the Ari and the Ramchal and the Grah are all coming to show that yes, there's Pirud, but that Pirud gives birth to a greater level of Achdus. Because now Pirud is disseminated. Now Pirud can be found in every prat that a person touches because HaToifes Chelek Min HaEtzem, like the Baal Shem Tov says, somebody who touches a Chelek of Etzem, Toifes Hetza Etzem Kulo, is in truth grabbing hold of the entirety of the essence. And that's the Torah of Yichud. The Torah of Yichud is to see specifically within the Prat the light of the Klal, not to deny the existence of Pratim. Any other questions or? Yeah, I have a comment. Sure. There's a famous Kotzke word, there's nothing as old as a broken heart. Mm-hmm. And I never understood it. Thank you. The way I wanted to touch that Kutzker, if the Kutzker says there's nothing as whole as a broken heart, you can also say that there's nothing as broken as a whole heart. Someone who thinks they're beseder is a broken zah. It's a broken zah. Practically speaking, how do you apply the Rayona Kvali of in in your center? To to have a muna that things are moving forward. To have a muna that look, it's it's not hard to see orosa tshuva everywhere you look right. when you're in a center like this. Recovery is tshuva gamre. It's people who are hoping for their lives to move towards a better space. So it's very difficult to have to apply it because it's apparent. It's very much apparent. These are human beings who are trying to move forward. The rayon haklali is the concept of, of health. Each person has their own perspective of what being a healthy, functioning human being means. But it's also the awareness that within the Ra'ayon HaKlali, each person has their own particular sense of what wholeness is. Well, what I'm trying to go into here, it's, it's more a, a cognitive, it's a paradigm shift in a belief system rather than any, like, a therapy of a facilitation of some sort. Uh, yeah, but I, I personally believe that, that information and theory is curative. Uh, I, think that, I think that ideas can influence a person to change. I don't think it has to necessarily be a direct intervention. But there's always, look, a person who's experiencing a chronic anxiety attack. They're in the middle of an anxiety attack. Instead of saying, don't worry, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong, when you feel the radiating heat on the back of your neck and the heart palpitations and the sweat, and you begin to feel overwhelmed as if the body is going to fall apart, there's very strong value to whispering to a person, you're okay. Everything is okay. Because when a person is capable of recognizing that everything is okay and they're not falling apart, they have a muna that everything is okay, slowly but surely things begin to revert back to that calmness. Psychosomatic. So yeah. maybe, maybe I didn't understand it's okay to, be, to not be okay on a very basic level. Like, maybe, isn't that like a slippery slope that, okay, I don't even have to get better? Bevadai, bevadai. It's bevadai, it's a slippery slope. Oh, so that's the dance. I mean, I haven't met too many people who are okay in their broken state. You know, the people who are coming for help are ones who want change. It doesn't... Look, there are certain things that a person is not going to be capable of changing. There are certain broken stains that are not going to be erased. Avada, it's a a slippery slope. But my question is sometimes, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Telling the person that until you're perfect, nothing's okay? To give a person a breath... I believe my therapeutic model is that a moment of clarity for a person is worth everything. A nakuda of being calm with the self, any diminishment of the symptom, even for a moment, is valuable. For me to approach it as a therapist thinking that my job is to erase all symptoms would, would be my symptom. This is what the original theorists thought. They thought that, this is what Freud thought, Freud and the original psychoanalyst, and this is why the Gaiva destroyed it. The Gaiva was that here in front of me is a jumbled, letter, uh, is a jumbled book of letters. An uninterpreted dream. My job is to apply the theory of what the dream really means, to close the book for them and to say, have a great day, this is what your dream really means. In the 50s, with Maslow and Carl Rogers, not Maslow, Carl Rogers, with the humanistic turn in psychotherapy, what we developed was something called client-centered therapy. That the therapist knows nothing that the client doesn't know. The therapist is a client in another type of relationship. It's all be'erchen, all the way down. The mashpia is a makabal, the makabal is a mashpia. The job of a therapist is give a holding safe space to make it simsum for there to be a halal where a person can express themselves. Self-determination of the client is the number one rule from a clinical perspective always. So what the person wants for themselves is going to be what they want. I understand your question very well. I don't have a good answer for it because... The clients that I work with very often are ones who need to be okay sometimes just taking a deep breath. But I know from my own self sometimes that's all I need also and I'm okay with that. To take a deep breath and feel everything is okay doesn't mean that everything is okay. Avada not. 
When we say, Al Tira Avdi Yaakov on Motzei Shabbos, I said this last night, Hashem is not saying there's no reason to be afraid. Hashem is saying, I totally get why you're afraid. I totally get it. Motzei Shabbos is a trauma. Like Rav Sadok says, Mebira Rama Igra Amikta. It's being thrown from the top to the bottom. What Al Tira Avdi Yaakov is saying is that it's okay not to be afraid. Even though you have all the reasons in the world not to be afraid. So it's, uh, even though you have all the reasons in the world to be afraid, it's okay to not be afraid for a second. What else is a Muna for? I see you're not... Uh, no, I can't. Don't be afraid not to be afraid. Why can't, why can't, why can't one say, in response to this question, that you, have to, you always have to try, like I, I think if I understood it to be miyached, but you have to understand that your efforts won't always bear fruit right away, and you have to be satisfied with whatever fruits your efforts bear right now. Avada. I, I, think that's, I, I think that's absolutely true and certainly what I was trying to say. I also think that your question is also at the end of the day there's still the chashash. And so I think that it's important because there are people who will intellectualize theories, intellectualize things and they'll say Ani beseder. But if a person says Ani beseder, then okay. You know, Shalom Aleichem, you're beseder, you're okay. There's nothing to do with a person who feels like they're okay. There's no, the, Panimia Satora won't penetrate a full vessel. It won't. It won't. It's, it's Kalim Shvirim that are needed. Okay. Yashakoyach, everybody. Thank you so much. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.